Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, new team, old problems. I'm very excited today uh, to be able to uh, get down to work the way Canadians uh, asked us to in this last election, uh, to pull together the country, to focus on issues of economic growth for the middle class, to fight climate change, and to keep Canadians and their communities safe. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau renovates his cabinet, but can he repair the deep divisions across the country? And will the new government push forward with one pipeline or more? And what about changing some controversial environmental legislation? Joining us today, the new Minister of Infrastructure, Catherine McKenna. And then, deal or die? Canadians sent us a clear message. They gave us the, the opportunity uh, to govern Canada, which is a, a privilege, an honor and a privilege. But they also said to us at the same time, we need you guys to speak to each other a bit more, to collaborate uh, a bit more. And this is what we'll be doing. In a minority parliament, which party do the Liberals turn to for support? And can they rely on the separatist bloc? What do they give up to get? The man who's in charge of making a survival deal is the new government house leader, Pablo Rodriguez, and he joins us today. Plus, opposition MPs weigh in on the battle ahead and what they need to see in the speech from the throne. Then, infighting. I feel like it's, we're being a little bit hijacked by kind of Alberta's agenda. The Scrum is here to talk about the winners and losers in the new cabinet and why Western alienation is obscuring other big challenges. Special guests, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart and pollster Nick Nanos join us. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. I think Canadians appreciate that we face some big challenges at home. Uh, notably, the challenge around being sure that we can act united as a country. So Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has tapped his top ministers to address things like Western concerns. Christopher Freeland, now the Deputy Prime Minister and Intergovernmental Affairs Minister. Seamus O'Regan takes over Natural Resources file. He's in Alberta this weekend. Jim Carr is the Special Representative for the Prairies, but out of cabinet. And Catherine McKenna is the new Infrastructure Minister. She will now be in charge of a $180 billion infrastructure plan. Can this so-called all-star lineup bridge the Western divide? Are they open to changes to the controversial environmental regulations bill? Or as Alberta Premier Jason Kenney calls it, the no more pipelines bill in order to get stuff built. Let's find out. Infrastructure Minister uh, Catherine McKenna joins us. Uh, congratulations on Thank the appointment. You. Good to see you again. Um, see. A lot of the people you're going to have to deal with, Doug Ford and Jason Kenney, uh, you clashed with them. You were you were you were emblematic of everything they didn't like about the government because of the carbon price. Now you've got to deal with them, and you're coming with 180 billion dollars. How do you work with Kenny and Ford? Uh, well, I think uh, Canadians want infrastructure built. That's better public transit. Uh, that's everything you know. From I, I just met with Telesat, a great company that's providing broadband to rural areas. Um, that means you know how we, affordable housing, and so we need to get things done. And I think you saw a positive sign. The Prime Minister met with Premier Ford. Uh, I think that it's important that we remember that we serve Canadians, and so I will be working uh, with provinces for sure on in the infrastructure file and mayors. Okay, but but the question. 
question is how. Let, let's talk about some mm. infrastructure that, that has been at the heart of the prairie alienation, which is Pipelines Bill C-69, which is the environmental assessment. You are very much a part of that in your old portfolio. Jason Kenney, Scott Moe, uh, Nad Nenshi, they call it the No More Pipelines Bill. They want that to be changed. They want that to be reassessed. Are, these are infrastructure bills. The, the government owns that Trans Mountain Pipeline. Are you open to changing C-69, revoking it, rebuilding it, or reassessing it? Uh, so it's actually the Impact Assessment Act. So it's not even a bill. It's actually legislation right, that's out there. And uh, the new minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, who is great. He was my parliamentary secretary, uh, Minister of Fisheries and Oceans before. He's been clear. We're not reopening the legislation, but implementation is key. So what does and, that mean, implementation? Well, the, the bill, the, this act is just coming into force. So we have people, you know, saying all sorts of things about it, but nothing, no project has gone through it yet. In fact, we saw the problems. You see the problems with uh, the twinning the TMX pipeline. That had to do with that legislation that was under Stephen Harper, the previous legislation. This is a good piece of legislation, but it's got to work. And I'm someone who always has talked about the importance of the environment and the economy. There's $500 billion of investment, potential investment, uh, in major projects, and we need this to work and go ahead. Something's got to change. I mean, you, minister after minister keeps saying, you know, we're listening, we're going to recalibrate, and then you say, okay, do something substantive. They want that change. You say, well, the old one was bad. This is really good. So it just sounds like it's it's fake consultation, that you're saying you're going to list listen, but you're really just doing the same thing you did last time, and now you've got a prairie fire burning. What will change to get infrastructure built? Uh, well, we were able to get infrastructure built uh, in the last four years, and we're going to continue doing that. This is a good piece of legislation, and everyone should be committed to getting investment. I mean, I don't think it's helpful if you have folks saying, don't invest in Canada because you're not going to get a project through. That's a really good way to not get projects not, through. But to, with all due respect, when Encana leaves, it's not because people are talking it down. When your government buys the Keystone X or the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline, it's because you don't have a proponent that wants to do it because they're saying... It's the legislation. When is, will your government just own accountability? People are leaving. You've had to spend $4.5 billion to buy a pipeline. Will it get built? And will you change something to make sure more get built? So infrastructure projects have gone ahead. As I said, the problem with TMX was a problem that was created under the previous legislation. So we made changes. We consulted for three years on this legislation, including with industry. Many industry players think it's a lot better. And I, but I do agree. So let's just step back. Do we need to get to a better place with the people of Saskatchewan and Alberta? Absolutely. There was a message this election, um, and people are mad. And we understand that, and we need to be working better. And I think that's why you have Where's Jim Carr. I, I, I get all that, but let's get substance. I know you've mm -hmm. got Jim Carr, and I know you're everyone, but let's get substance. So I'll ask you this. The courts are holding up the Trans Mountain Pipeline. It's a big piece of infrastructure. We've got $4.5 billion invested in that. Would your government be open to using uh, constitutional powers in the national interest if the courts continue to hold this up to make sure that pipeline goes through? Is that in your arsenal? So the, the pipeline is being built. Um, and I think that's what's really important. I, I don't think we need to go relitigate all this. We are absolutely committed to getting the pipeline built. I just, I just want the facts are there are six First Nations holding it up in court. If one of them wins, it doesn't get built. So then the question is, it goes back into your court. It's your infrastructure project. You can decide to pull the other lever, which is constitutional powers. 
are you open to that? So there's a, an obligation in this country, the duty to consult and accommodate for uh, Indigenous peoples. We feel that we have met that and that the court will demonstrate that, and we're moving ahead. But more broadly, I look, I, I would agree with you, we do need to get to a better spot. I think we have to really focus on how do we improve lives of people across Canada. That includes Saskatchewan, that includes Alberta, and I think the rhetoric should should calm down. Over the weekend and the, the, the continuing issue with the CN strike, and the propane problem. Jason Kenney said, if you want propane Quebec and no longer these shortages in the event of uh, more strikes, build a pipeline. And there is actually a pipeline that you could support, and I'm wondering if you support it. And it's the Energy Saguenay Pipeline. It's a $14 billion pipeline and LNG terminal that would go from Alberta to the Saguenay. It's supported not only by Jason Kenney, but Premier Legault in Quebec. 10,000 jobs, $14 billion, pipeline from Alberta to Quebec, liquefied natural gas. Would you as the infrastructure minister support that? Uh, well, let's be clear. There's an environmental assessment process. It has to go through the process. But look, I think... I understand, but do you support it? I mean, it's a big piece of infrastructure. It's jobs. It's LNG. I mean, it solves some real problems. It's infrastructure. It's on your plate. What's your sense of it? Is that something you would support? So it actually has to go through an environmental assessment process. And that's not, I am no longer in good news, Evan. I don't know if you got the news release, but I am the Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. And uh, I mean, of course, I support building good infrastructure. But we still have to have a process. And so that's what's important. But I do think that we need provinces to work together, the federal government, and we need to realize there's a whole big world out there and people aren't every day waking up thinking about Canada as a place to invest. We have to make it attractive to investment and we need to work together. All provinces need to work together. That's why I'm very excited about this file because it's building real things for real people. So what are your three priorities? What are the three big priorities that will define your time here in terms of your investment? Uh, well, I think we need to get, you know, we need to be building projects. So actually getting projects done, that is incredibly important. I think we need to make sure that we have a climate lens. And you could say, well, what does that mean? We're building projects for the next 50 years. And we look at the opportunity to do it in lower emissions, which also, if you take transit, public transit is, is an incredible way for people to get around faster, cleaner, cheaper. And so those are major projects that will make a huge difference. And I understand you're building for the next 50 years, but there are people listening to you and go, thanks, I got to pay my mortgage in the next 50 days. There's 100,000 people out of jobs in Calgary. There's people who are suffering, farmers who can't harvest because of the, they can't get the propane. 50 years sounds great. I want 50 hours from now. Where will you spend the infrastructure dollars to stimulate the economy, create jobs, and get stuff done? Well, that's what we're doing. So the investments that we've already made in infrastructure projects uh, and the investments we're continuing to make. I've been to work already. I met with uh, Mayor Nahid Nanshi from Calgary talking about real opportunities there with public transit, uh, how we can work uh, with the province on that. And I also, I talked to John Tory, talked to him about, um, you know, Metro, uh, about the Metro line. I talked to, I also met with Kennedy Stewart, the mayor of Vancouver. They've got a huge plan, a really ambitious plan um, for uh, better public transit. That's getting people to their homes faster, cheaper, cleaner. And I agree, we've got to move forward on these projects. And we also have to look at- Is there one that you can just tell me before I let you go, is there one project that you think, you know, I know you're, it's brand new portfolio. <laughs> I get it, but is there one that you say, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, people want to see 
governments get stuff done. You've got to knock something down here. What is something you can get done? Well, I'm excited about the opportunity in Toronto. I think that there's some real momentum uh, around uh, the metro line and some interest for that. So I've been on the okay. day one. I've been on the job one day, so I'm not going to commit to something <laughs> yet. But don't worry, I'm on it. And I think I've demonstrated my goal is to deliver. I delivered on the climate file. We moved forward, and there were some tough times for sure. But that's what we need right. to do. We need to get things work uh, built, and we need that's workers, that's jobs, oh. that's good economic impacts, and also that's a way to make sure that we're tackling climate change and building climate resilient communities. I just want to pick up on that last one. You, you released a video on the day of the, the government sh um, announcement, the, mm -hmm. the, the new government, and you were crying in it. Now, I know you're talking about your kids, you were cleaning out your office, but you had a tough campaign. You had security threats. You had that horrific graffiti. You became a, uh, the subject of an enormous amount of social media criticism, a lot of it very vile. Um, it seemed to take a toll, frankly, personally. And when I saw that video, I thought, it's really taken a toll person. Like, wh how tough was that to be the lightning rod of all that stuff, the threats? Uh, was that part of that when you were after that campaign, when you say it was a tough campaign? How much of a toll did all that take? Uh, well, to put the video in context, I was cleaning up my office, so I just found objects. And so I was doing different videos of objects. The last one I ended up was a calendar that my kids did, which actually was positive in the sense you turned over, there were 10 days left, and you turned it over, yeah. you got an inspirational quote. But I think this was a really tough campaign, not not just for me personally, but you know, there was that. But it was for Canadians. But it was tough. I, I understand that. But it was tough for you personally, I, I, because yeah. it was tough. I get it. It was a minority government. It was a divisive campaign. But you became the symbol of a lot of stuff. You took a lot of it. It was really personal. The stuff that was written on your office was disgraceful. Did that take a toll on you? I mean, this is your second election. I'm just trying to Sir, get at that. You know that. what? Politics takes a toll. And I am a mom first, and I also have kids who didn't sign up for this, but they're incredible because they really support me. They believe in what I'm doing. They believe that this makes a difference. And one thing I've learned in this job, that you have to keep it real. You, you have to talk like a real person, and if I show a bit of emotion and that makes people feel a bit uncomfortable, well, I'm a woman in politics, and I'm just gonna own it. Uh, and I also think we can do better. And I think that's one reflection from this election, the, the tone, the rhetoric, the approach, um, the hate, but the misinformation, we owe it as politicians uh, and as Canadians to do better. We can be a model for the world. We're extremely lucky to live in an incredibly beautiful, prosperous country. Maybe not everyone is succeeding. We need everyone to succeed. We got to hold on to that. We can't let what we've seen in other countries, the hate, the divisiveness, drive us. I really believe that. That was why I got into politics. If I got a little emotional, it's a little weird maybe for some folks, but I'm okay with that. Great. I appreciate that. Thanks, Thank Minister. You. Thanks so much. That's uh, Minister Catherine McKenna coming up on the program, The Deal Maker. Pablo Rodriguez, the new House leader, has to find a deal with the opposition parties in order for the minority Trudeau government to survive. He joins us now with his plan. Stay right here with Question Period. Cabinet table is set as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau prepares to win over the West and opposition leaders, all in an effort to prop up his minority 
Parliament for as long as he can. So what issues can Mr. Trudeau bend on and where should he get into, I don't know, a political stare down? Finding an ally in order to survive in the jo is the job of the new government House leader and Quebec Lieutenant Pablo Rodriguez and he joins us now. Uh, great to have you on the program, Minister. Look, at the end of the day, you really only need one major party to support you, the Conservatives, the NDP, or the Bloc. Based on each of these uh, campaign promises, in your view, who is most aligned with your party's values? Who are you seeking support from? Well, it will depend uh, on the issue. We'll go, we're going to go issue by issue. Uh, as we've mentioned before, Fighting uh, climate change is really important for us. So, we'll, of course, we'll be discussing that with the NDP, with the Bloc Québécois. On the other hand, we also want to uh, reduce uh, taxes for the middle class so we can discuss that with the Conservatives. So, piece by piece. Okay. Uh, what message would it send to the rest of Canada, especially a Canada divider right now, if the only party that will dance with the Liberals is the Bloc Québécois, who are no longer hiding their separatist agenda? Is that politically acceptable or toxic? Well, I expect all parties to collaborate at one point to the other. You know, we came out from a very nasty election and Canadians didn't like that and they expect us to, to work together. So we're all under surveillance, right? We're, we're under surveillance as a government, but also the opposition. And I expect that they want to collaborate uh, to make sure that we move forward. So sometimes they want to say yes or sometimes no, uh, but we're going to be talking to everybody. Okay, but, but let's say the Conservatives say, sorry, we're not going to support you, which is pretty likely. They, they may not do that. The NDP said there's not enough there because they've made demands on moving the climate targets and they don't like the pipeline that your government insists you're going to build. That leaves you with the block. And the bloc has said, look, we're, we're happy to support the Liberals as long as they don't meddle too much in Quebec's business. Could you just accept <laughs> the speech on the throne if it's just the bloc Quebecois? What message does that send to an alienated well, Western Canada? No, but the, but the bloc was, was elected by Quebec, which, who are Canadians in a democratic uh, election. So uh, they're in the House like the other parties. So in, in some cases it could be the Bloc, in other cases it could be the NDP or the Conservatives. The important thing is, is we move forward for, with good policies for, for Canadians. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but, the, but, the but Minister, I, I, I get that, but the optics, you can't be blind to the politics. You guys have clearly a divided country after the last election. Uh, if you're just working with the Bloc in order to survive on this speech from the throne, that sends a message that this is, a, you know, many ministers like you from Quebec, you're working with the separatist Bloc. How, what message but would Evan, that send to the West? But Evan, who says that, that we would be working only with the Bloc? I mean, this is... Thoroughly, it, it's, it's an hypothesis, right? Like we're, we're, we're actually drafting the speech from the throne. So we'll see what it's in there and we're going to be discussing with everybody. It could be just with the NDP and why not with the Conservatives if they're happy with the tax cuts or, or things like that. Okay, would you move forward? Let's talk about that uh, to try to win some of that support. Will you move forward on any of the demands made by the opposition leaders when they met with the Prime Minister? Like putting a date and a timeline on a national pharmacare or dental care program or changing Bill C-69, the environmental assessment around uh, pipeline projects. Will you make concessions like that? Well, we were very clear on what the priorities are, right? You saw it during the election. We, we said it after the prime minister was very clear, fighting climate change, uh, lowering taxes for the middle class, fighting poverty, this and that. So this is what we want to do. This is what we told Canadians we would do. Now we have to find 
people, you know, dancing partners that will move forward with us on, on those priorities. If, if there's, you know, tweaking to do here and there, it could be possible, it depends. But actually, we're, we're working on the, on the throne speech right. and that, let's see what it is before. Well, but, but that's what I'm asking, what are you tweaking on? Because, the, after, you know, I know what you said before the election, but Canadians said, we don't want you to have a majority, we want you to have a minority. They put you guys a bit in the penalty box. They want you to put water in your wine. So what are the little tweaks? So give me an example of what's, what your government is uh, discussing to tweak. Well, we don't know because we're not discussing at this moment. At this moment, we're drafting the, 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 the throne speech. Um, we know we know what the priorities, our priorities are. We you know we have an idea of, of what the others uh, would like uh, us to do. And, and you're absolutely right. The Canadians sent us a message, and we understood the message. We have to to be very humble. We have to listen more, and we have to collaborate. And we will definitely collaborate. Okay. So the block leader. Uh, says that he's looking for you guys. He'll support the Liberals if you turn a blind eye to Bill 21, which is the religious uh, symbols ban. Now it's law, not, a, not just a bill. Do you, do you personally, as a Quebecer, as a minister, do you consider that legislative discrimination, as, as the federal leaders have said? No, but it, but the, the, it has nothing to do. Bill Twenty One has nothing to do with the throne speech or anything we're doing in Canada. This is provincial legislation that's been adopted by a provincial government, and it's actually in front of the courts, brought by Quebecers. So we'll we'll see what happened with that. But it has nothing to do with what we're doing on Ottawa. I know, but if you believe it's legislative discrimination, and the Quebecers are saying don't intervene. I'm just trying to figure this out. I agree it's not part of the speech in the throne, but to keep turning your nose away from something that you consider legislative discrimination in order to win support, what does that say about the party itself? No, Evan, I mean, it's, it's a discussion that's actually taking place in Quebec. It's front of the court, actually. It's not something we're getting involved. We're, we're following Well, you could support, to be fair, the federal closely, government but, could, but, no, but we, the federal government could join uh, and fight that in the courts, because after all, it is, it is it's, a question of religious already, freedoms. It, it's already in the courts. It's already in, in, in the courts. It's there. It's brought by Quebecers, and it's been discussed there. Now, what we're concentrating on, as I told you, it's climate change. It's, it's fighting poverty. It's building so social housing. That's our job, and that's what we're doing. Okay, what will be the first priority? We're I know there's a speech from the throne, but, you know, your job is to cut deals and make sure there's support. Uh, can you give us any <laughs> sense of what the first piece of, of legislation might be, what the priority will be of this government in terms of actual legislation? Well, I can't tell you what's going to be the first legis legislation, but I can tell you that uh, lowering taxes for the middle class will be among the top priorities. Um, and and, and you've, you've read the program, I'm sure, Evan, and, and you've followed the, the elections. You know what? We want to you know, fight uh, climate change very aggressively. We want to um, reduce poverty and be there for the middle class. So that's what we're going to try to do. With, right. with the help of other parties. We understand that we're a minority. This is the will of Kenyans. We respect the will of Kenyans. We accept that. Now we have to discuss with others. All right, I got to leave it there. Minister Rodriguez will be watching closely. After all, it's all on yeah. you how long this government survives. I appreciate you coming on the program today. <laughs> Thank uh, you very much, Evan. Coming up, the opposition weighs in on Justin Trudeau's new front bench. What are they looking for? MPs are standing by to tell us that. Stay right here with Question Period. Changing the ministers or not doesn't give me any more or less confidence in this government. What would give me confidence is a clear indication of the policies that this government will enact that are going to benefit people. 
So the new ministers have just been uh, sworn in, but already the opposition not too happy about it. They're demanding solid concessions on issues ranging from the No More Pipelines bill or Bill C-69 to National Pharmacare. Will they get them? Are Mr. Trudeau's front bench solutions enough for Andrew Scheer to walk back his comment that Canada is now more divided than ever? And what will the NDP's biggest ask be from the new cabinet? Let's bring opposition in to find out. Michael Barrett is a Conservative MP here in Ontario. He's with me in studio. And Peter Julian is an NDP MP for British Columbia. He joins us from Vancouver. Great to see both of you. Uh, Michael Barrett, let me start with you real quick. Uh, just your big takeaway, style over substance. What message do you take away from the new cabinet? Same faces, same failures, Evan. The, uh, you know, the, the, the made-up ministries, um, certainly Canadians didn't expect more limousines to solve the problems that we've had over the last four years. But they moved some people around. There are seven new faces, just to be fair, but what do you mean same failures? In what way? Well, you know, um, yeah, they moved some people around. Uh, shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic didn't solve any problems that anybody had. And uh, we have uh, ministers who are supposed to be in key positions who voted for uh, C-48, who voted for C-69. So a lot of work for ministers like uh, O'Regan, who is uh, who's in Alberta this weekend, and uh, people there are, are not expecting just a, a, a slow roll of those devastating pieces of legislation. They're expecting um, major, major changes or for them to be repealed. Okay, and that's Seamus O'Regan. He, of course, is the new infrastructure or natural resource minister. He's in uh, Alberta this weekend. Peter Julian, what's your read? Any standouts? Uh, well, regardless of who's named to cabinet, the, the issue is, is the prime minister's office going to continue to override and dominate uh, liberal ministers? And we saw this with Jody Wilson-Raybould. We saw this with Jane Philpott, that uh, you can have a competent minister, but uh, if the prime minister's office is deciding everything, and, and it was... Uh, I think, uh, to all intents and purposes, uh, PMO dominated the first four years of the Liberal government. We're not going to see the kind of action that needs to be taken to address people's concerns. I mean, we have an affordable housing crisis, uh, people not being able to pay for their, their medication. We, we have problems with, uh, with uh, the, the climate emergency that's taking place and a government that's uh, trying to build a pipeline rather than responding uh, to the urgency of climate change. All of these things. Um, ministers could work on if they actually had the liberty to do so. I, I'm not convinced Mr. Trudeau has changed his style at all. They won two elections saying they're going to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Canadians, 66 or 67 percent of Canadians, those who voted Liberal and those who voted Conservatives, clearly are supporting parties that want to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline, okay? Is that not enough for the NDP to say there's been two elections on this one? We've had the referendums. Stop and it's leading to a lot of Western alienation. Maybe it's time to accept that pipeline. Uh, well, the more people know about the actual facts of this uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, the, the less people accept it. And so I think in British Columbia, particularly on the coast of BC, where people know firsthand all the details around the project, uh, that's where opposition is strongest. And uh, the more Canadians find out about what is a 15 to $17 billion boondoggle paid for by taxpayers' money, and uh, it w something that will fuel climate change, which also costs our economy uh, this year $5 billion. So when people evaluate the actual costs, as opposed to the right. spin around the pipeline, they have a completely different attitude. Uh, what what's needs to happen is transition for energy workers. Now, as you know, Evan, I come out of the energy industry. I was a refinery worker in Burnaby, BC. 
what we need to do is start providing the supports so we can transition energy workers into the clean energy jobs of tomorrow. All right, let's talk about what it would take to support a throne speech. For the Conservatives, what, would, what are the red lines that you guys need to see without supporting? Do you need to see a repeal of Bill C-69? That's not going to happen. You need to see a repeal of the carbon tax? That's not going to happen. So what would you need to see to support that throne speech? Uh, you know, our leader, Andrew Scheer, uh, met with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and, and laid out what, you know, what we heard from Canadians over the course of the 40-day election and, um, and, and what we campaigned on and certainly was important to the um, more than uh, 600,000 people who voted for Conservatives know, but you're in, still in lost. this election. I mean, with all due respect, you lost. Sure. It's a minority parliament. You've got to put some water in your wine. What water are you putting in the wine? Well, we, we want to see uh, we want to see tax relief. We want to see government get out of the way and let small business do what they do best, and that's create jobs. And, and in this last session of Parliament, we didn't see that. We saw we saw more regulation. We saw more payroll taxes. It, it was a it was a uh, a more harsh climate for uh, for business, and we need to do better for them going forward. So so far, it doesn't look like the Conservatives are lining up to, to uh, support the throne speech. What about uh, for the NDP? Does it need, do you need to see concrete plans on things like national pharmacare, which the Liberals are making warm noises about? Uh, we, we want to see real action for people. There's an affordable housing crisis. We do need a national universal single-payer pharmacare program. We need to stop the federal government from profiting from the massive levels of student, uh, student I debt. Know, but that, outside uh, of the laundry list, in. Peter, Peter Julian, I know there's a laundry list, the campaign's over. What is one thing you would need to see in this throne speech to support it? We, we need to see real action on, on climate change, and we need to see things happening for people, regular people in this country. All right, uh, so well, this is interesting. The jockeying back and forth goes, but uh, so far, I'm not sure if there's more style or substance in the, in, in the uh, uh, cabinet team. Mr. Baird, Mr. Julian, great to see both of you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming up after the shakeup, the Prime Minister uh, did reveal his new team, but can he heal old wounds or will he open new ones? The scrum is here. Our special guest, staying in BC, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart joins us. Stay with us. goal is a strong West in a united Canada. Well, there's a new cabinet, but can it deal with a lot of new challenges? The 2015 Justin Trudeau packaged himself as the great uniter, but in 2019 he looks a lot more like the great divider. The biggest challenge facing his new minority government is prairie alienation. But what substantive changes will the new government make to douse out the prairie fire? And will his new cabinet team hold up the Trudeau grand bargain, which is building a Trans Mountain pipeline while still pricing carbon. Let's find out. The Scrum is here. Tony McCharles is a senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator with that wave, very patented. And our special guest for this round from Vancouver is Mayor Kennedy Stewart. Great Thanks to see to you that. all and Thanks you back in town, former Thanks. NDP uh, MP. And let me start with you because you met with the Prime Minister yeah. this week. Uh, and then one of the things you saying was uh, that you resent being dragged into this discussion about what a lot of people call Western alienation. Why are you sort of fed up or losing your patience with this? Uh, you know, it just doesn't reflect what's happening in Vancouver. I mean, we have a housing crisis, we have an opioid crisis, we got to get transit built, and then suddenly people are talking about equalization payments, and I'm like, 
that's got nothing to do with us. And uh, I think it's, you know, part of my job is, is to, to make a case for what we're interested in. And it's not separation. It is getting down to work. And that's why I came here is to make that clear, but also to see what kind of work we could do right away. Those are real issues. But but the, the fact is dominating Todd our headlines is a lot of the, I call it prairie alienation. I don't like to use the word Western because I think yeah. BC's, it's a little different. Yeah. But Christian Freeland becomes the Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs. Is that a sign that Justin Trudeau says, my best team member dealt with Donald Trump and the biggest issue in term one. Term two, alienation is my big issue. Yeah, and not only is she those titles, she's chair of another big cabinet committee on energy and the environment. She's vice chair with Trudeau on the big agenda committee. She still holds NAFTA, so she's got a lot of titles. She doesn't have a huge department. She's got a staff of 12. She doesn't have a big budget, but what she's got is the prime minister's ear. So clearly, you know, if if that conveys power, she's got it. What will she be able to do in concrete terms to deal with Jason Kenney and Scott Moe's demands that they fix the environmental assessment on energy projects and reverse the tanker bill, I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of horse trading. And none of that is going to be resolved uh, by independence of Alberta. And Mm -hmm. I think we should all be more clear-eyed and start saying it's farcical to talk about uh, a nation uh, of Alberta. And the kind of things the Premier's been doing, get rid of the Mounties, set up his own regulations on on, uh, pensions and all of that, None of that does anything to build a pipeline or solve Alberta's real problems. I think the Premier maybe needs to focus on that more and on building his province more in a way that uh, other Canadians can respect. I think she's also a reboot because the the Conservative Premiers were such a punching bag during the campaign. Mm -hmm. There was so much animosity and whichever province uh, that was led by a provincial, by a, a Conservative Premier, it was, he was sort of the target of everything that is negative and that Canadians shouldn't vote for. So it's difficult to go from that to the conciliatory prime minister, even though we all know realistically, when you campaign, you have a baseball bat, when you manage, you have to be a nice guy, but it's hard for him. So she is actually a better mouthpiece. She knows the, the, the West probably better than Trudeau. She understands it better. Mm-hmm. She grew up there. So maybe there, that is a first sort of olive branch but would be her would instead say, of him. I no? would say the Prime Minister understands British Columbia. Yeah. I mean, he's yes, there. But very that, but that's yeah. not where so the, that's why the but West but, okay, versus so I'm BC. I'm intrigued by that. <laughs> right, but yeah. that's not where, that's the, the British Columbia doesn't want to separate. Oh, we her, no, yet. no, no. I mean, it yet, also doesn't want a pipeline. Well, let's talk about that because style and substance, because olive branches and word salads that you can, you can, you don't get a lot of protein out of out of that stuff. He's, they got to build a pipeline that Craig says they say they're going to build a pipeline. They say Trans Mountain's going to be built and they've done some signals that they're going to reassess or maybe not implement what they call Bill C-69, which is the environmental assessment around mm-hmm. those big uh, pipelines. Jason Kenney and Scott Moe call it the no more pipelines bill. What, what did you make of the signals that he said, I'm still building that pipeline and I'm going to rejig C-69 maybe? Yeah, I mean, the big thing again about British Columbia is that we really have very few treaties at all with First Nations. And, and again, it gets left out of the equation over and over and over Why again. Why does that matter for our viewers? Well, because uh, it's how the courts deal with uh, Indigenous rights. And so uh, the Federal Court of Appeal decision that the city of Vancouver was in as, as with uh, local nations, that's what forced 
enforce this uh, delays. So when Perry Belgar, the Assembly of National, the National yep. Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, told me that pipeline will be built, Trudeau says it's going to be built. You're the mayor of Vancouver. No. I don't think it's going to be built because they keep forgetting the First Nations. The the First Nations along the route, each nation is distinct. So it's Perry Belgar does not talk for local nations. He oh. maybe represents uh, nationally some general ideas, but he is not involved in these distinct court cases, which is based on rights and title of that individual nation. And, and until Central Canada gets Trudeau that, Trudeau could it's use not the Constitution go. if he has to. Yes. Uh, yes. A lot of people have recommended that. The federal government has the power to do a lot of things they haven't done yet, and a lot of powers they have not used constitutionally. He may have to do that to get the pipeline built. Because it's mission impossible. I mean, the First Nations don't agree with each other. There are some who want the pipeline, some who don't want the pipeline. I mean, this conversation, we are going in circles. But this we are talking one group of people. These are these individual, are, what distinct I'm saying. nations. So what can he do, Tonda, of substance? Can he, does he change 69? Like, what, how does he, because they're signaling, well, the well there's some, those yeah. are the asks. What does he do of substance? Well, if you listen to what uh, his ministers said after the meetings with yourself and yep. Mayor of Calgary, Nahed yeah. um, you know, they first said we're open to having a conversation about changing these laws and then they walked it back. Uh, we'll mm -hmm. look at how we can implement them better. Uh, what does that mean? Make nice? Give people a little longer to talk? You know, I think that the rubber hits the road on legislation and the rules of how things work and that's where people will challenge it and like we were saying earlier you know it really does only take one court case to put a big wrench in the works right yeah. if one success that really will be a sense? problem. Does it Joyce. make sense that only one court case would stop a project like this? Right? I mean, what? Why is that even right? It's the Constitution. It's like, you gotta no, think no, of British Columbia kind of like Europe. Okay. These are distinct nations that have rights, and w until we understand that, we are never going to solve this problem. Uh, so, so go to well, Craig. Go, go to Trudeau. Then, what of substance? He keeps saying, "I'm listening. I've got to do reconciliation." How does he change there something? There is a whole suite of things he can give Kenny. Uh, and there are too many of them right now of, to discuss here uh, in the time we've got. But on C69, the heart of it is practices, regulations, rules. They, can, they don't have to reopen the bill to make the kind of changes that Kenny needs, I think. Interesting. So do you think there's tanker bans, changing that environmental assessment, and a pipeline? You, you know, you're the mayor of Vancouver. Yeah. Does he do all that? He peases, you know, puts out the prairie Not fire. Does that pass the mustard in BC? Uh, I don't. I think BC has got other issues they're worried about. The pipeline. I think they. You know, that is one. And I think there's a disappointment of it being purchased and those types of things. But I think there's a. It, it is really worth the First Nations leading leading the whole charge against it, and it'll be sorted in courts. You can't change the tank tanker ban, by the way. It is so important to that pristine, globally yes. uh, yeah. responsible coast way up there can't change that. I don't think the government will. Well, there's lots of other issues, and this is the thing that the, the mayor was talking about, the opioid crisis, the housing mm -hmm. crisis. They're all getting pushed in a second, which is too bad, because we've got to discuss those more, and I'm glad you're raising those. Yeah. Thanks, Mayor. Appreciate Take that. No That's Mayor uh, Kennedy Stewart. The rest of the scrum is sticking around. The big reset. Who are the winners and losers in the cabinet shuffle? But the, more importantly, what does it mean for the big issues? Pharmacare, the economy. If Trudeau has tough challenges, and he does, Andrew Scheer must be saying, hold my beer. The social conservative of issues are back. We'll talk about that as well with special guest Nick Nano. Stay with us.
The big shuffle. Prime Minister Trudeau renovated his front bench, but what will it mean for the big challenges he faces? Will he get a national pharmacare program done? Will he build a pipeline? And what's with the invention of new economic portfolios like uh, Minister of Middle Class Prosperity? Is it symbolism or substance? To talk about that and Andrew Shear's latest controversy over same-sex marriage, let's bring back the scrum. Tonda McCharles is back. Joyce Napier is back. Craig Oliver is here. And our special guest for this round is the president and CEO of Nanos Research. Nick Nanos. Nick, great to see you. All right. Now, we're all going to, we'll go through the cabinet and the challenges ahead uh, and whether he's responding. But, you know, here we are after the election. You've looked at the Canadian electorate. Uh, what are the dominant issue that is going to face Justin Trudeau in the early part of his new mandate? The big issue is make this country work. There's Western alienation, the blocker on the rise in the province of Quebec, and Canadians are probably worried about whether provincial federal relations will move forward or whether we can just get things done to create prosperity. Get things done in what way, though? What is that? I mean, to deal with that, what do they want done? Is it the health care? Is it the pipeline? Are people saying, let's get something done, but this is what I need done? Well, what's interesting is that people support just moving forward on the carbon tax and the pipeline, right? No more talk. We've talked about it enough. But the other thing is, is this whole idea of affordability, housing affordability, cost of living, actually cuts right across the country, and Canadians want action on that. All right. Uh, we, maybe, we that's why, may, maybe that's why... Uh, Justin Trudeau handed out silly titles like middle class prosperity. You know, there's a title for every everybody, every constituency you want to come up with. their seniors, families, children, uh, you know. But, hey, not the fight against poverty. What about the lower class, lower income classes? There's no fight against poverty minister. Whose job is that? Like, I think maybe you're right, people, the, maybe the government has focus grouped this and understood that there's middle class anxiety out there. But I think they missed the mark on some of their cabinet moves. I think that, you know, some of this, uh, uh, the portfolio that Mona Forche got, middle class prosperity. There was another one, diversity, inclusion, and youth. Well, that overlaps with heritage. Like, what are they doing? Get down to business. That's yeah. all true. Let's but I think the message sent by pulling... Uh, Christopher Freeland out of foreign affairs is saying oh, sure. we're grounded. It's time for domestic politics yeah. and it's time to solve Absolutely. the kind of problems yeah. no of the Canadian there. economy that have to be fixed. Yeah. Well, was it know, symbolism or substance? Because well, there's been a lot of mockery of all these new because titles. Because they haven't gotten their marching orders yet. We haven't read those letters. The what exactly? Letters. But there's about eight eight departments now, eight ministries that are economic. So there's economic mm. development, regional economic development, rural economic development. But where Small will business, we grow the economy? That's what they haven't talked about during the campaign, how mm. to grow this economy, which, is, which would reach what people are actually worried about, which is affordability. You grow the economy. Yeah. But nobody is talking but about this, growing the economy. This was political cabinet making. Let's face it, here's what I saw. The Liberals believe that they can hold on to power through the province of Quebec. They elevated Champagne. They have Duclos as the President of Treasury Board. Melanie Jolie. They had now as the, many, now as the many minister Quebec has. ministers last time as well. No, but now right? they're, they're, they've one all more. been promoted uh, and they have a political more. minister. There's only one province in this country that actually has a political minister. So what I saw was a government that was giving more muscle to the province of Quebec and they see that as their path to trying Not to hold just on to Quebec, power. By the way, 75%. Uh, of the votes uh, in cabinet and of the cabinet ministers are from Ontario and Quebec. Yes, yes. What that tells you is that the purpose of this whole shuffle 
was not saving the country. It was save the Liberal Party. But you know, <laughs> I agree with you on that. Right. Right. So like okay. And, and when you, you have these feelings of Western alienation, just look at that cabinet and you will get your answer, right? Ten, ten Quebec cabinet ministers, 11 with the prime minister. Last right. time it was pretty much the same, right? So uh, I think here's they just so, don't have representation out west. That is their problem, that not is, the fact that they have ten Quebec cabinet ministers. That is a big problem out west. Uh, there's another, you know, there's a dim diminishment of the voices from Atlantic Canada at the cabinet yes. table. So it is an Ontario and Quebec-centric government. It was before, but it is even more so. The message mm -hmm. that came out of there is these are the powerful regions. I think, though, you know, it still remains to be seen the team that they've put together of individual ministers to tackle the western issues. Mr. O'Regan uh, in energy, Seamus O'Regan from Newfoundland, uh, Mr. Wilkinson from BC on environment, Freeland and Jim Carr. Uh, and they have a separate Western Economic Development yeah. Agency they'll try and staff up through a parliamentary secretary because they put a Montreal minister in charge. You know, that that is the work in progress. That is what remains to be seen. Can they do it? All right, I would just say one last thing. I think the sleeper who will emerge as a very important player will be Patty Hyde, the new Minister yes. of Health. I don't know why they dumped yeah. uh, Patty Pat Taylor, but she's got to do the the National Pharmacare program. So I think no one's talking about her, but I think she emerges. Uh, I want to go to, uh, I, I thought a, a really interesting development this week in the Globe and Mail, uh, Melissa Lantzman, who worked for Stephen Harper staffer, worked for Doug Ford in Ontario, and Jamie Ellerton, who was a senior communications guy on the Shear campaign. Uh, they are both part of the LGBTQ community. They wrote an editorial saying, if Andrew Shear does not recalibrate his views on same-sex marriage, the Conservatives are doomed for second and place. Uh, oh, Craig, what did well, you make do of not that? leave out Ron Ambrose, by That's the way. That's right, this week. Uh, who is pretty outspoken. Uh, the party is in a muddle. The party is imploding. Uh, and I think what these people are doing, these prestigious party within leaders within the Conservative Party, uh, on left and right, they're inviting Mr. Scheer to resign. How serious, are they right that unless he recalibrates Nick on that issue, the Conservatives simply cannot win? And this is, this yeah. is, this is for him a massive well, problem. Think in terms of the election, this is the equivalent of cutting off one's nose to spite the face for the Conservatives. It's a no-win situation. But I'll tell you how this does make sense. If Andrew Scheer wants to remain leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, maybe he thinks that he can only hold on to the leadership if those social conservatives come out to keep him in power. That's the only way I can make sense of this because from a long-term perspective politically, it's a no-winner. And anyway, it's too late for, uh, for Andrew Scheer. If he, he can't even change his mind anymore. He can't even say, okay, I'm going to go to a pride uh, parade next time because nobody will believe him. So the message to conservatives is, you know, you got to change your, uh, you got to change your leader. That's what they've been saying since the next, the, since election night. Conservatives have been telling uh, Andrew Scheer that he is not the man for the job. It is 2019. Wake up, smell the coffee, and move on. And the reality of all of that is, he may not be able to win an election, but he may actually be able to win the conservative leadership yep. race. Yes. And if the uh, you know the rules around the leadership race and who gets to go and who gets to vote favor him and. Yeah. indications are they might uh, you know he gets he will be able to stay in power he can he can solidify and consolidate his base within the party drawing on the cons social conservatives if he wishes uh, but I think the bigger question is can he win that election and I think the the signs but, but are now afraid you know, that you it will be but 
think of it this way. When you look at the conservative caucus today, it is very social conservative. So he's with people around him that yeah. validate him. Yes. Then you think of the party, it they're grew. more progressive. And then you, when you think of the Canadians that would be open to voting for the conservatives, they're even more progressive. So he's in an environment where he thinks he's being validated, but those conservative those conservative voters out there are not yeah, as And, it, and it's also a conundrum for them. It's a minority government. Do we want to be switching leaders when we really don't know when the next election will happen? So that's also a problem for them. Should they stick to the, to, to the fellow they know or change and maybe three months later they're in an, in an election campaign? Uh, uh, drip, 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 though. That issue <laughs> keeps going. There are more conservatives keep raising it. As you say, Craig, Ron Ambrose keeps raising it. So that's not going away. All right, I got to leave it there. Why? Things are getting busy. Nick, great to see you, Tonda, Craig, and Joyce. Always a pleasure. And thank you all for watching. The House does return on December 5th. Don't worry, there'll be lots of politics before that. And we'll be back here in seven short days. Take care.